Welcome back to the WFO Live podcast. In this episode, we have a really special interview with Rachel Woods. Rachel is a clinical assistant professor at Baylor University Hancomer School of Business, where she teaches leadership and organizational behavior. Rachel is also the founder of LTREC, which is a leadership corporation where she serves as a leadership transformation trainer, consultant, and coach. She's an attorney with a degree from St. Mary's Law School and a Bachelor of Arts from Baylor University. And today we get to interview her after 15 years of experience in the leadership development industry. Today we're going to specifically talk about how to maintain and develop individual motivation. And you might think, okay, well, motivation is just something that happens to you. Well, actually, it's not. Case in point, it's actually a set of skills, and those skills can be taught and practiced in shared with others. So folks that are looking to keep themselves motivated, this will be a good starter or primer for that discussion. I have a feeling we could go in multiple directions with Rachel. She's a wealth of information, and I think we just barely scratched the surface with this one. We hope you will enjoy the interview with Rachel Woods. Welcome to the WFO Life Podcast. Buckle up for interviews, insights, and practical discussions, and the occasional intellectual oddity, all designed to help you master self, master craft, and accomplish any life mission. All right, folks, welcome back to the WFO Life Podcast. Today, we have a really special interview with someone near and dear to me. And also, we have uh, Lieutenant Colonel Chris Story joining us for another episode dealing with the realm of coaching. But today, unlike meeting with a sports coach uh, who, you know, maybe has lessons and life lessons they can impart upon us, we have a different kind of coach today. And we have a business professor, we have a uh, leadership consultant, uh, and um, all around uh, awesome person, I, I think, because she's my sister, Rachel Woods. Mm -hmm. And uh, really happy to have her on uh, the show with us today. Rachel, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me and congratulations on your show to both of you. I think it's great. Thanks. Thanks a lot. So we all, uh, obviously, uh, we go way back, uh, but uh, Chris uh, knows you as well because we all went to the same high school. So it's going to kind of be a little bit of a reunion for us. But um, before we get into our main topic, I want to make sure that everyone kind of understands your background because um, you've got a deep educational background. You're uh, a leader in many respects and you've been serving as a consultant. And every time we chat, I don't know, I actually, to be honest, I don't know why it's taken us a year to get you on our show. I figured you would have been in the first week <laughs> on our show, but uh, you've got a, a wealth of knowledge in a lot of areas that Chris and I cross uh, with our guests and, and with our uh, listeners. So uh, for our listeners sake, um, please give us a little bit about your background, education, all that type of stuff. Uh, again, thanks for, for having me on. I, I, I think you're, what you're doing is great. And especially right now with, with you know, you all have asked me to, to come on and, and talk about uh, this topic today. And I, I just, it's extremely timely. So I'm excited to be here. But, but yeah, I actually uh, did not, like so many people, I didn't really set out to do the, the job that I'm in today. 
Um, my career began as an attorney and a, and a mediator. Uh, when I was in law school, I actually really found myself interested in alternative dispute resolution, specifically mediation. And I started doing a lot of mediations around the state. And, you know, when in the mediation world, mediations are often conducted by 40-year attorneys and retired judges. I mean, that's changed over the, over the years. I mean, there's, there's, it's definitely a growth industry. But uh, for me, that, that's something that I really found interesting and that I was doing. But like so many people, when there's been some kind of career change, it usually stems from some kind of influence in your life. And for me, that was uh, our great uncle, Dr. Clifton Williams, who had been uh, in you know, administration at Baylor for many years, had written management textbooks, and had been in the leadership development industry for like between 30 and 40 years, I think. So he actually it kind of invited me to be a part of helping him uh, step away from his own career in a sense, right. never really worked with him in the same organization per se, but he, he was the one who pointed out to me that my skill sets with conflict management and negotiation actually fit under this umbrella of leadership development, which wouldn't have otherwise occurred to me. Um, but he was right. And I've learned that since then, you know, so many of the different things that, that we study and put into practice as managers do in fact stem from the same theories. I mean, the same body of, of information, you know, that helps us to interact with people better to, re to resolve conflict. And uh, so, yeah, in 2005, I think Baylor University asked me to teach conflict management and negotiation, which is kind of where the teaching began, right? That would be the, right. that's intervention, by the way, um, teaching people how to manage conflict for themselves. Right. Uh, but in businesses, I was already doing that. I was either training or intervening in conflict. To, so it's prevention and intervention. But over the years, my business kind of took on a life of its own. It grew and, and changed where we were offering more leadership skills than just conflict management and negotiation. Over the last 15 years, I've been immersed in that business. So I've been in and out of companies doing leadership development uh, myself, kind of taking on more of that, applying it in my own leadership roles. But now it's, it's a, something where, you know, we're, we're training on uh, motivation, how to motivate yourself and others, trust building, um, delegation, which is huge. Uh, again, it's a, it's a source of conflict, which is, is interesting right. to me how everything kind of goes back to those, some of those same some principles, um, communication, just there's so much of it is all related. So for years, I was, I was teaching as an adjunct at Baylor, teaching conflict management negotiation. I found a lot of internal noise uh, because, again, I was immersed in management development in my business on the side, and, and I needed to stay on track in that class, just focusing on negotiation but because everything is related, I found myself always wanting to talk about all these other ways that applied in business. And eventually that opportunity came open for me to teach um, leadership and organizational behavior, which is the core management class at the Baylor Business School. And, uh, and I took that opportunity. So now um, I feel like I have this career alignment where the same principles I'm teaching to emerging leaders or campus leaders at Baylor, uh, future managers, if you will, I'm also working with 
you know, managers in, in practice and, and keeping one foot in industry as well. So anyway, I love it. It's extremely fulfilling and uh, it's a lot of fun. And I think you all know that because so many times I'm, I'm listening to what you all are doing and there's a lot of overlap in topics. And yeah. And that's how we had you on is because we've had conversations uh, on the side and it's just the, the value of the content you're talking about. And it, it, it definitely parallels a lot of the topics Chris and I have weaved into several of our interviews and certainly our podcasts that we've done. And, and what you just described now, the you're talking about Eltra, correct? The, that's your that's the name of your company, the leadership company? Yeah, the business that I started in 2005 is called Leadership Trek Corporation or Eltrek, L-T-R-E-K. The idea with Leadership Trek is based on the philosophy that leadership development should be an ongoing um, journey or a trek versus an event. That's a really, really big deal. I can't tell you how many companies or leaders will contact me and say, hey, uh, uh, we're having some conflict over here. And we were wondering if you could come over and speak to us at lunch on Friday at noon, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking that's great. You know, it's a, it's a start, but the reality is if you really want to experience transformation as a person or as a team, you need to have an ongoing uh, process that is going to open up communication and, and education in your in your group uh, to to have change occur. I mean, change doesn't happen over a thirty minute lunch. You know, that's the same so, thing as health. What you're describing, it's the same thing as health because leadership. Uh, when you have conflict or le- you know leadership dilemmas in a business, it's really the same as a health issue. If you don't have preventative tools in place or you don't have pre- preventative practices in the health, um, you're going to run into you know basically you're in you're putting out fires all the time. You're you're constantly uh, running around correcting problems after they've started rather than preventing them from the get go. I like how Eltrek and and we're going to get into some of your. Your, your tools on the, on the idea of motivation. But um, basically what you're describing is a entire toolbox of skill sets uh, required to lead. Yeah, actually, um, again, you know, I was listening to you talk about how you were, you're interviewing sports coaches and there's a lot of parallels as I know you, you know, already, but there's so many parallels that I actually use and and talking with people, you know, I'm, I usually, I'm like, okay, what's your sport? Like, what do you, what do you pay attention to? What do you enjoy? And just taking basketball season as an example, um, you know, if you look at professional basketball players, right. Or, or some, our college, our, our basketball team at Baylor is really good. Look at, look at these teams. What are they doing? When, when you go to practice, they're not doing anything like, you know, so unique and and so different that we don't recognize it right it's always the same thing it's practicing it's repetition of the same skills passing throwing shooting you know and then the cohesiveness of the team because they've done that together so much they've learned together they're they they're cohesive in in the way that they're working with each other and so in that same way i've found that that there's core leadership skills that that truly are are in everything that everything comes back to that so for us that we i found focus in focusing on those leadership skills with people and kind of like a skills trainer if you would so when people come to me with issues i'm doing like a checkup well how are you doing with this how are you doing with that you know, it's, it's again, the passing, the throwing, in this case, it's, it's motivation. It's, it's trust, the foundation of everything. 
um, and breaking it down into the nuances of those various topics. And I end up finding the sources of this, the problem, or at least a, a starting place, because again, it's, it, to me, it seemed, cause I'm immersed in it. It's always the same. And I think it's similar to sports in that regard, because again, they're, you know, it's, it's the basics going back to basics and people, I think they want the next hot topic or the next trending book or something. But a lot of times the new books that come out, they're talking about the same topics with different jargon or some new buzzword. One of the things I was going to say, you know, making parallels to what I do in the military is, you know, you mentioned um, when that one company wanted you to come by on a Friday at lunch, you know, they want somebody to come fix them. And a lot of it is more about um, the investment and like you mentioned, practice with, uh, you know, the sports teams. And I think it's interesting how people even who have played sports or, you know, or sports fans can watch and understand the routines and the consistency that either they did when they played sports or what they watch. But then when it comes to their own life, they want to have the pill that's going to make them lose weight. They want to have the book that's going to change their life when it's the habits and the daily practices and routines that really make the difference. So that's encouraging to hear that you try to pass that on to people and companies like, Hey, you know, I'm not going to fix you with a speech. You know, I may give you a spur in the butt to, you know, get motivated about it, but you know, it's the discipline and the investment long-term is what makes the the real difference. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's not helpful either if you're wanting to motivate other people and they don't really see an event. I mean, they, they may not consciously be thinking about it, but if they don't think that something's actually going to work or be transformative, they're not going to respect it either. So I've, I've actually had to say no to a few really great opportunities because I've just thought, you know what, it's not truly going to help you on the other side of it. And if it's not like, I don't want to be associated with it and then, and then not have the opportunity to work with you further. So let's, let's talk about something that would really work. And um, a lot of it is uh, establishing a common language among your team members for how you describe it. I'm sure you see that in the military. You you have to be using the same language with your team members in order to, you know, no matter what it is, again, trust, motivation, communication, conflict management, delegation. If, if you say a stage of team that you're in, that should mean the same thing to everyone. And a lot of times that's what we're doing. We're trying to get everybody on the same page so that they can then, work together cohesively the way that a a really great team would on the field or on the court. You know, it's funny. uh, This is a bit of a prequel, but I I can't, we just interviewed the defensive coordinator for Cal Allen high school, Steve Campbell. We just interviewed him last night. Mm -hmm. So this is a bit of a prequel, but I had to share this and Chris will appreciate this because when you, we, and, and for those of you don't know uh, coach Campbell or Cal Allen high school, Cal Allen high school has, is one of the winningest, football programs in the state of Texas in high school history, really for that matter. And, and coach Campbell has been coaching 38 seasons and they have this incredible track record. And we were trying to distill out what are some of the reasons that you've maintained dynasty status, you know, at a program like this, right? That was the, the pearl we were trying to drag out of him. And he mentioned, we tackle, uh, we tackle and block 
fundamentally better than everyone else because we work on fundamentals. And I was just thinking about what you were just saying, because I was like, that's exactly what she's telling us. It's just another, like you said, it's another, what's your game? What game are you doing? The game is leadership. So in leadership, they have certain tools. And yes, you can read the latest book and the latest, you know, the latest spin, but the reality is you still have to tackle, you still have to hit people, <laughs> you still have to block effectively. Yeah. And that's how you become a dynasty. So that, that's kind yeah. of a, I don't well, know if you appreciate that, Chris, but that was... Well, what's funny to me is I, I think about Lita Andrews, right? She yeah. was the, yep. the she was the head coach of for years at, at Cal Allen when you know when I was you know obsessed with basketball and, and growing up there. And I remember, uh, you know, she was a she was an amazing um, influence on on my own thinking growing up, and and she would have these camps, which you know she where she would go on and people would ask her, her, you know, secret to success and every, and she was always, I don't know what she says now, but at the time I remember it was all about back to basics. That was her, yep. her motto. Yep. You know, we're, we're out here doing these things, trying to do a few things really well. And, and you know what, if we didn't, you know, we were running for it. We were, yeah. we, we yeah. were, well, I was going to say the same thing as what we preach in the military. You know, we talked about, you know, basics at a high level we talk about and you you know you hear it in business and other things about brilliance and the basics and you know it sounds simple or you hear basic it's like oh it's the basic things but when you when it comes down to it you know if you're not physically fit if you don't have your mental game in check if you're not doing the basic things all the other advanced stuff and including winning is going to come very hard if you can't, you know, get those basics right. And uh, so I think a lot of that applies to leadership. I know in the military, uh, when you were talking earlier about, you know, just like having consistency too, it made me think about, you know, the military, you look at uh, industry best practices in any industry, right? You want to see, you know, people want to know what Amazon does or what Google does. And, uh, you know, in the military, one of the things we do is we'll, take people out of their regular career track and put them for a year in a school separate from their specialty and separate from the fleet and deployments just to focus on leadership and studying history and you know one of our famous generals that you know has been in the you know political realm recently well, actually two of them general kelly and general mattis um who you know are, are written prolifically and spoken they talk about having a 10,000 year old mind and so um, when you go down the battlefield, even though you're using modern weapons, you might you might experience that being different. But the fundamentals of human nature are the same. And I think the same thing goes for leadership and coaching is like you have to teach people, you know, human emotions are what they are. You know, there's different applicability and there's different scenarios. But, you know, all these things and I looked at your LTREK website, you know, just talking about core values and things. And, and I think that quicker people in leadership and in situations with conflict resolution realize that it's like, Hey, the better, you know, yourself and you know how people work, the more effective you're going to be at being a leader. And I can tell by your website, you, you invest a lot in that when you work with people. Thank you. you. I mean, it's, it's right on you. You have to begin with your values and it informs everything else. So Exactly. Which echoes Coach Crisp uh, when he talked about values and how it, that was the basis of his program. We covered a, an interview with Coach Crisp, uh, head coach of Medina Valley High School recently, and that's exactly how he started. He goes, how do you start a program? Because he recently started a new program there. Start with the values. You teach your values, you reinforce your values, and eventually people adopt your values, hopefully, and you move forward. 
I wanted to get into the main gist of our conversation. You have all these tools that you are an expert with and that you employ with your, your clients and your students. We, you brought up the idea of motivation, and I know that you have been spending considerable time investigating and actually teaching this at uh, conventions and with uh, uh, different companies you've worked with. You know, 2020 was a rough year for a lot of people, and it was bumpy. And there was a lot of seemingly at every turn, there was a setback. And maybe that's partially why our podcast was very popular last year, because we talked a lot about stoicism and a lot of uh, very, you know, how do you overcome hardships and things like that. But you have a different take on motivation and you even have practical tools um, that people can do, use to maintain motivation. Can you kind of start off into that and tell us what your thoughts are on motivation and where it's at right now? Yeah, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. It's just, it's so timely coming off of 2020 because uh, what what people were asking me about in the, in the especially the fall of, of last year was, you know, how do, you know, what, how do I motivate other people? I mean, I mean, you, you kind of have to think about who's your audience, right? For me, I'm usually a coach to the perceived coach, right? The, the leader in a business needs help and they, you know, they've got all kinds of needs, right? You've, you've had so many unexpected challenges last year and changes. And some of the industries that I worked with uh, this last year and that I continue to work with experienced 100% closures. And maybe they were on the final reopening uh, group of, of industries that would open back up because they were related to uh, like entertainment in some ways, um, I've worked with museums. I'm I'm the I I'm the president of a board of directors for a theater. So I've seen I've I've paid particular attention to the way the entertainment industry has been affected as well. But there's been industries like that have, that have been hit so hard. And um, but you've got everything from closures to downsizing, layoffs, uh, or you know, like people having no work or remote work. Um, all, right. the, the, all these stressors going on, and then you have the the leaders trying to go to work and motivate people, right? In their minds, right. like you know, I'm, I motivate people. First thing I do have to remind people is that as a manager, you really motivations an internal state. You can't go into the minds of others and just go, "You're gonna love this," you know, like really, you know, change their minds. Um, at best, what a leader can do is inspire people to take Hopefully. action that they want to take for their own reasons. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, there's so much to it. There's just, there's so much about motivation, but typically I have to begin by saying, what do you want? Like, what are you trying to do? And what they really want is for their staff to have energy and their staff to be motivated and, or, you know, every, everything to be okay. And, and so we have to begin a conversation and, I'm, and then I have to say, well, how are you doing? How are you doing? You know, because you, you and I, you know, this Chris knows this, it, it does often begin with the leader. The team is usually a kind of, you know, a reflection of it. And in a year like this, that's not necessarily true. I mean, everybody has all kinds of things going on, but you do have to look at yourself and give yourself the, the time to reflect and, and figure out, uh, how you're doing because what you are communicating to others through your words and through your actions will in fact influence theirs. It's part of the puzzle. It's not everything, but it's part of the puzzle. And that is 
what I, I like that we can focus on today because it's, it's easy to get ahead of ourselves and to start talking about like, well, how does this affect other people? What can we do with others? I just, I like the idea of really just saying, just pause, like hit the pause button and, and take a moment. It's okay to think about yourself. I deal with a lot of really accommodating, wonderfully empathetic leaders who do a really good job of focusing on others to their own detriment even. So anyway, um, for me, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it first in that, in that framework, as far as like, um, why you do have to figure out your why, right? Because your actions are influencing other people. And some people in your audience may not be managers at a company, but they may want to influence others for good. They, it could be their family, right? And we all want to be uh, positive and, and live in our best, best lives. And so I do think you have to figure out why it's important for you to have a high energy or high motivation going forward into the new year and have that on your mind, that's going to increase your motivation for even studying it, for even caring. And I don't think people that are probably listening to your podcast struggle with that, that they're looking for that. They're, they're probably already highly motivated. So it's, how do you sustain that? Right. Yeah. And I was, oh, I was just going to say that, uh, I know for us, um, one of the first things, uh, that we learned just in leadership one-on-one in the military is, a you know, lead by example. And I think, you know, some of the things you've talked about is, you know, people want um, either when they become the boss, so to speak, I think in certain industries, there's this perception that, okay, when I get to be the boss, maybe I'm not going to have to work as hard. Or when I get to be the boss, like you mentioned delegation, right? It's like, I can just tell other people what to do. But I think what's lost on that, <laughs> if you, if you, yeah, yeah, Bill's laughing with this, uh, but, but what you that's have to true. do. That's not true. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. Uh, but I think uh, the learning in the military that lead by example is everything is because obviously, you know, leadership on the battlefield, you can't have the guy in charge just like, you know, in the rear with the gear and saying, okay, let me know how the plan goes, you know, when you're done on the battlefield, you know, you need the leader to be present. You need him to be visible. And I think what what's failing a lot of people and companies a lot of times is when you have this standardized training to protect against sexual harassment in the workplace or to protect, you know, people of different backgrounds, there's this canned training that people pay to get. And, you know, there's this like, you know, self paced, you know, online courseware that you have to click through, but what is missing in a lot of these organizations and when these people run into issues with ethics or, you know, diversity, inclusion, things like that, it's because the leaders are not walking the walk and are not leading by example. And so I think, you know, with a topic of motivation and self-motivation, I think when you're a leader, you know, you have to be motivated by the right things. And, you know, you can't just be like, okay, well, I'm in charge now. So everybody does what I say and I can, you know, do something else. Everybody looks at what the leader's doing. They know what time the leader shows up and what time they leave at the end of the day, even if the leader doesn't think that they know, you know, when they're coming and going and they see what they're doing. So I think, you know, I'm sure you've seen this with a lot of people that you've tried to help with motivation in a leadership position. It's like, hey, you have to be visible. You know, you have to, you, know, you can't just give a, a inspiring speech and then go hide in your office for eight hours a day. So, you know, that's kind of what struck me about some of the things we're talking about. 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, so many things you said um, are just just thinking about delegation is is so amusing to me because delegation is one of the most underestimated things. I feel like it's the most challenging leadership skill from my experience in talking with people. A lot of people think it's just like giving someone else something to do or like you you kind of minimized it too by saying, oh, I'm just going to tell someone else what to do. It's almost yeah. like visually it's a, it's a thing that we're handing to someone, but the reality is it's a communication. It's like an interpersonal uh, interaction with someone and it's the way that we ensure that we have a meeting of the minds about what success looks like. And, but in our, in our business, we talk about how it's five steps, not just one. So, you know, anybody who thinks that they've taken on the leadership role, they're going to have that one step is, is in for it because (laughs) it's, uh, it just feels like it's a quadruple, you know, the, the amount of work. Well, I was going to say, yeah, too, that the best organizations that I've been a part of, you know, in the military you move around. So I'll, I'll say like the best units I've been a part of is where delegation was almost like implicit. It was like inherent that because people knew the vision of what we were trying to do, they already knew their role. There was like built in communication. It's like you, it's a beautiful thing when you almost don't have to delegate, right. Where people are so understanding of their role and what needs to be done. You know, in the military, we talk about this thing, two levels up. So everybody should know their job and two levels up. And if you do that, and if you communicate the right way, then the delegation is just like, you know, what do we call a little bit of stick and rudder, right? You know, like flying an airplane, you don't have to, you know, just be, you know, telling them, you know, A to Z what to do. You're telling them just like a couple things, you know, in areas that they're already working on. So I think that's obviously very difficult to achieve and a lot of organizations, but I think that implicit, you know, everybody knows what everybody else is supposed to be doing is powerful because then you don't spend a lot of time micromanaging, right? It's like a, you know, it's a vision. It sounds awesome. I mean, it it sounds like they would have, you know, systems set up for that where they're, they're taking care of some of the earlier steps of delegation. Um, I would definitely caution people from thinking that that's okay. I mean, in, in their teams or as a leadership approach because I would usually tell people assume nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Definitely yeah. don't want to assume that um, teams, I mean, actually one of the biggest struggles that I see people and companies deal with is that they, they don't know what other people in the organization are doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I was just going to say a lot of it too. I mean, the military translates into other industries, but it also does, a lot of discipline rehearsals and has like standard operating procedures that can be life and death. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. Whereas like all these scenarios that you know, or come up, you've already rehearsed and you handle that. And then the decision-making and the delegation is all just the gray area stuff, mm-hmm. you know, cause everybody's taking care of like, you know, making sure the trains run on time, so to speak in a, you know, kind of a public, you know, uh, setting, but it's like, Hey, we're going to spend time having meetings and exchanging emails on stuff. That's actually problems to solve, not telling you how to do the basics of your job. I guess yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, and I'll just going back to our original um, conversation, I would say with the idea of motivation, I mean, both of you, you know, clearly understand that we have a lot of control over that. Uh, I think, um, you know, there's a, a lot of, you know, cause and effect, or, you know, if we, we know that if there are certain actions you take here, then you can change your, your future here. I mean, there, we, we know this, 
But it is interesting when it comes to motivation, there are people who think that when things have happened to them or they're in a certain set of circumstances that they're, they're, and they're not motivated, they're just not motivated. Like that's not, that's not something that they can really influence. It's just, you're either are, or you're not, you know, and you, you do, you can run into a lot of that. And I know that, you know, both of you again are like high performing and you're talking with a lot of high performance, um, you know, people, you know, who are, are high performing and everything. I'm just, I just think that it's probably very common for people to think that they are, or they're not um, motivated and there's nothing they can do. So the first thing we have to recognize is how you think about motivation or your ability to even influence it at all. It has to be uh, right to begin with. You have to know that you can influence your motivation through actions of all things, just by, by changing your behavior can actually, there's, there's some research that shows you can actually change your mindset by changing your actions first. So anyway, kind of circular, but, um, so that being said, what I would recommend is that, you know, we, we seek to understand our motivation that requires us to pay attention to it, right? We have to become more aware of how we are responding to certain types of situations, how we're doing. Uh, I think we're in such a busy culture environment, you know, with, with work and all the, all things that we can uh, partake in in our society that it, it's hard for people to slow down and just spend the time reflecting and figuring out um, things. The other, the other thing is I think that when people are stressed out and dealing with a lot of uh, barriers like we had this past year, uh, people can feel really scattered. And, and you know, it's, a, it's very important to get very focused and, and get focused on a few things that are going to help propel propel you forward to be more motivated or to sustain your motivation going forward. So one of the things I was going to ask you about just to kind of lead into this first idea uh, was like, who is the most motivated person, you know, and this is going to, this, this is going to kind of inform this conversation we're going to have about what is even, how, 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 how does your behavior affect others? And so just very quickly was curious if you all could tell me like who, who comes to your mind if, if I said, who's the most motivated person you know and why? For me, uh, obviously, uh, Lieutenant Colonel's story here is a pretty motivated, uh, high-functioning individual. So he pops into my head. And another one that pops into my head is uh, Eric Davis, another uh, former military guy, uh, author, best-selling author, and uh uh, ex-Navy SEAL, ran the sniper school. Um, I've spent a lot of time with him extremely, just every time you talk to him, he's on point and on task for something. You know, he just seems always motivated and high energy, ready to go. Yeah, I think for me, uh, I've talked about it a lot on the podcast, but I've been fortunate enough to volunteer with a, an incredible veteran service organization called the Travis Mannion Foundation. And it was uh, started by the family of Travis Mannion, who was killed, uh, Marine killed in Iraq. And his sister, his, his older sister, is now the president of the foundation. And she, um, you know, runs, a, um, you know, becoming a large, you know, nonprofit uh, organization. She, 
Yeah, last year I think she rucked, you know, the entire 26.2 miles of the Marine Corps Marathon, you know, carrying a 30-pound pack. And then she's also, I think, a city council um, member in the city where she lives. And so, I mean, and then she's got like, yeah, I think three kids of, you know, different ages. And and so somebody like her that, uh, you know, kind of has that internal motivation, you know, with a memory of her brother running the foundation, you know, kind of working in her community and doing a lot of things like that. She's somebody that uh, you know definitely comes to mind for me okay um, that's really good and you know it's it's interesting again it doesn't matter who you ask that question the the qualities or attributes or behaviors that people share tend to fall into these same categories I'm, I'm going to share with you I was just going to say um, someone that often comes to my mind which I know um, uh, Dr. Curtis obviously knows him well and and has uh even mentioned him on, on your show before, but my, my husband, Riley Woods, um, is someone that I'm, I'm constantly, uh, obviously able to, to observe, uh, as his spouse, but, um, he is, you know, someone who, you know, went, you know, went to Cal and played football there. It's kind of funny that we're all here, like you said, a little reunion or something, but, you know, he was a really active athlete, went to West Point Military Academy, and in his third year there, um, he was injured and ended up having to leave because of his injury level was like made him a T5 paraplegic. And uh, he's gone on you know, to school, became an attorney. He's been practicing law for years. But, um, but his, his attitude and how he spends his time you know, is kind of indicative of his personal motivation. And uh, you know, I was just thinking about him. It's, it's funny because over the years, it's always different things, right? Years ago, it was, oh, you know, he went to Mount Everest and, you know, he did this, this thing over here, you know, right now, uh, actually, from one of the things that Dr. Curtis was talking to him about and setting some goals, he actually set out to do a 5k every day back during COVID and started doing a 5k. So, you know, it's a snow day here, by the way, um, kids are out of school <laughs> and the, there's snow everywhere. And Riley's, you know, wheeling around our neighborhood out there in his wheelchair in the snow. And I'm thinking, you know, the neighbors literally will stop me and say, what am I doing with my life? You know, because uh, <laughs> they see him going by every day and they're still like, maybe not doing anything. So anyway, um, this Seeing how people respond to barriers is inspiring. And that's yeah. something that he and I have learned. We've learned, hey, it's, it's okay to talk about our story. We've been married 21 years now. I've, I've become very comfortable talking about our story because I've learned that it's helpful. I'm inspired yeah. by other people and hearing how they overcome hardship, right? So anyway, it doesn't surprise me to hear the, the examples that you gave, because if you look at research around personal motivation, the same behaviors um, that, that show a person's motivated always come up. So it's your perceived energy level, whatever those physical signals are that you're giving out. It's how you spend your time, your, your hours of work. Um, it has to do with your, your self aspirations, uh, or your focus on your, in, in this case, we're talking about many different, um, applications, I guess. So it could be your focus on your organizational goals, your team goals, or your family goals, but also your courage and your drive to initiate. All those things are signals that, that you're personally motivated. And so anytime 
anyone talks about someone that they admire, that is highly motivated, it's going to fall into one of those categories. You know, uh, you're, t- you're talking about the, the woman, you know, you know, running the nonprofit, demonstrating all this physical uh, energy level, productivity, all those kinds of things. So anyway, my, my advice for people, again, I know we're, it's very early in the discussion about strategies, but we have to ask ourselves what we are demonstrating to others. What do other people see? So, and, and how motivated do you think you are versus what other people see? So that's one of the, the first things I do um, with, with uh, people is, is to say, you know, how motivated, just make it simple, like on a scale of one to 10, how motivated are you? And then they'll often tell me how they're doing and that maybe it's low or maybe it's higher. I've, um, but then the, the next question is how motivated do you think other people seem see, see you, you know, how motivated do they think you are? Because, yeah. you know, if your goal is to motivate other people and, and you seem down or you're demonstrating a lack of motivation, then, then we have to find out why and, and, and work on that. I'm, I've had people say, gosh, I, I think I'm, I'm actually more motivated than they think I am because maybe they're offsite or remote. I, I had people that I was working with who were remote workers already before all this started and they would have a limited amount of time to interact with others. And so because they, when they were there, they were pressed for time and, you know, super productive into themselves on site. Um, they weren't engaging and, and ultimately figured that it might cause them to lose opportunities at, at work or invitations to do certain kinds of things because people just don't know that they're motivated. I mean, they just don't know because they're not, they're not getting those, those signals. So right. that's one of the places I think you, you have to start just to see what you're And now that we're doing uh, meetings remote, we're on, we're on zoom and all these different, um, video conferencing platforms, we have to be more mindful about the limited amount of time that we have in person in order to show those signals. So, so I've been having to go in and work with companies and individuals and figure out what they're communicating in those limited settings. You know, are you, is your, you know, are you making eye contact? Um, Do you seem energetic? Um, You know, what are you talking about? And it's hard, but it's, it's one of the reasons why we have to, we have to figure out what's going on with ourselves so that we're, we can be on and we can bring authentic motivation. The last thing you want is someone who's uh, acting, if you will, like a, a leader who goes on and they feel like they're putting it on, putting on, um, you know, a facade of strength and, and, and motivation when, in reality, they're, they're really, really down. And so we, you want to bring that into alignment and be authentic and, um, be motivated and also demonstrate that to others in a way that they can, you know, they can pick up on that. So anyway, um, do y'all have anything to add to that? And before we go, I was just going to mention what you're talking about. A lot of people have to reflect on where they are. And, And sometimes, like you said, you have to take the time periodically, preferably, in my opinion, daily on where you're at and what you're doing. And the same thing, motivation isn't simply just something that happens to you. You're describing it as something that has actionable steps. The first being measure it, you know, manage it. 
if you're not managing or measuring it or reflecting on where you are, then it's hard to take concrete actions to improve it or sustain it. Yeah. And, you know, so, so I do think it's, it's good to reflect about, you know, where you are, where you've been, especially this year, I've even asked people, okay, what words come to mind when you think about 2020 and you can get an idea about the, the mindset based on the words that they use. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, when I think of 2020, I think stressful. I think, you know, I, I certainly uh, have negative words um, to describe it. Um, but that's a starting place. It's, you know, we, we have to move on from that. Um, and so anyway. When, well, when I was going to say, uh, yeah, uh, I, th- I think some of the things that, uh, you know, Bill and I talk about a lot. Uh, mainly because it's helpful for us is, uh, you know, besides obviously your spirituality and your religion, things like, you know, stoic philosophy help because it's so powerful. And, you know, regardless of the situation, when you look at um, the stoic philosophy of you can't control the events, but you can control hundred percent how you respond to the events and it almost assumes, you know, maybe a little bit of a negative side of it. You know, in Stoicism, they even talk about practicing if you don't have any money, you know, if you have to wear the same clothes every day, uh, you know, things going back to the ancient Greeks and Romans that they prepared for that adversity. You know, so obviously 2020 was like a huge, you know, unpredictable thing. But then the Stoic philosophy would be like, well, you know, you can't control a global pandemic but you can't control the actions you take every day to deal with your new normal. And so I think that anything that gives you power is, is great. And I think that's what a lot of people just feel powerless, right? I mean, people are in this, you know, negative cycle of, you know, not doing what they know they need to do, like work out, you know, eat right, spend time with their family. They get to the end of the day and they're like, crap, you know, I ate like shit. I didn't work out. And, you know, I barely got home in time to, you know, kiss my kids on the forehead and say goodnight. And then, you know, there's lots of things that you can probably do. And Coach Campbell talked about it. You know, it's like sometimes he'd end up staying up till two or three o'clock in the morning reviewing game film because, you know, he'd leave practice and try to get home and eat dinner and spend some time with his kids. So instead of just ignoring his family and kids and going to bed on time, he's like, hey, I might sacrifice some sleep. But the quality of life I get from the relationships that I'm, you know, sustaining is more important. So I think, you know, 2020 was a good wake up call for some people because it's just like, hey, it won't ever always be a global pandemic. But I think some people, you know, they, they did spend more time with family and they realized like, everything they were missing out on. And so I think that, you know, if you take the right mindset, hopefully we all learn something from 2020. And I think it ties right into, you know, the stuff you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of people... I think it's encouraging to look around and see that a lot of people did really clarify their priorities um, during that time. You know, I, I think that I definitely saw that. That's definitely one of the one of the strategies that I've recommended to people to do actively. Anyway, I think that the main thing is that we're actively managing the transition. Uh, you know, of, of the transition away from that 2020 mindset, if you will. If, in, but I think that part of that is going back to your priority set, your, your values, if you will. And no, for me, that's exactly the way that I manage a lot of it as well. Right. Because my family, I have two children. Um, My family is of highest priority to me. Right. So, but, but it, 
did mean with the what felt like added work. It seemed like everybody I talked to this year had added work, right? The idea of working from home, maybe people had ideas of, in their minds like that was going to be gardening and I don't know what, yeah. you know, organizing yeah. closets. I keep hearing people talk about that. I'm like, where, where, who did, who did that? Like, I, yeah. I feel like it just, we, I just had, you know, just compounded amounts of work. And so many times it meant if I was going to maintain my values and be there for my kids, it, it, it did mean rearranging my schedule in a way. And it, it was some, definitely some personal sacrifice into the middle of the night, you know, working at times. So I, I totally get that. I just think that some people like to avoid it, but I think that people like to put out of their minds what's going on and, and avoid it or pretend to like it's not happening. And that's, that's not really healthy or, um, I just think that we kind of, it's okay to acknowledge the challenges that, that people have been through this, this year and, and beyond. And it's different. It's different for everyone. So that's definitely something I would recommend. And like you said, reflect on some of the positives and opportunities for growth opportunities that we've had, because there, there's definitely been a lot of opportunity for growth. And, um, and so I think that's part of, of, um, again, the, the mindset transition, some of the, some of the best leaders I've talked to this year, when you talk to them in practice about what they've been doing, what have, what has helped them and their teams move forward has been to actually sit down and have some tough talks about what's going on, how people have been affected, what do they need? Um, and really acknowledging what people are going through. And it's okay to do that for yourself is what I'm saying. I mean, we, we spend a lot of time focusing on what does our team need and how do we do that? I'm saying use that same principle and apply it to yourself and say, this was really hard. And I'm going to spend some time thinking about what was hard about that, but then I'm going to release that. Oh, both of y'all, I think have read um, Brenda Burchard's book, the high performance habits book, which I love because it's so practical and refreshing. That is. Um, but in one of his chapters, I think it's habit two, he talks about transition uh, transition times and how hard they are for individuals in a day, which is funny. You can see that in children, right? You can see how they might struggle, you know, leaving a grocery store, like kind of the classic little tantrums and things you might see with little ones, but adults have trouble with transitions too. It just, we have a lot more, you know, emotional intelligence <laughs> later in life. Um, so anyway, I was thinking about the application of that kind of principle of releasing your tension and then setting intentions in the transition from one year to the next was just something this past year as I was really forced to give a lot of thought to this topic for other in preparation for helping other people. That was something that, that came to my mind. So I really just kind of thought about that and it's like, how do we, how do we do that? And so I do think, as a starting place, we can, we can think about what is stressful and then release that. He talks about, you know, meditative type techniques where you, you know, you maybe recite some kind of mantra for me, my faith informed, you know, I, I'd be more likely to, to pray on, you know, kind of surrender that over. Uh, but there's a lot of ways to do that, but the idea is um, to, to release that in some way, but you know, it doesn't mean we're leaving it behind completely, but in order to be more productive and sustain our motivation, I think that's part of it. The next one is to set our intentions for that new year or for that, you know, how do we bring our A game in, in that next setting, right? He talks about 
moving into that next meeting or maybe you're transitioning from home to, I mean, from work to home and you want to be your A game for your family. Right. Um, how do you manage that transition? So I'm just saying same principle applied to a new year. Then it's, it's kind of back to the typical like new year's resolution. Right. Problem is, is that people don't usually take action, right? A few months in they they're not, they're not taking action on those resolutions anymore. So setting goals isn't really good enough. You have to set yourself up for action. And um, so, yeah, I, I just, I think that there's a, a lot there that we can apply in this particular setting. And I think you both are good at that. Um, for me, it's, it's setting those intentions for 2021. And, and the way that I would guide others to do that would be to go back to asking yourself some critical questions about what do you want? You know, what do you want? Um, also, what can you control, right? There's a lot of people trying to worry about a lot of things that they can't control or influence. You know, ask yourself what you can control and envision what you want to be better. Um, you, you guys have been talking to, to coaches. Um, visualization is a technique that, that I use and, and recommend in business to, to people all the time. And you know where I first remember doing that? I remember literally laying in bed as a middle school student, uh, visualizing myself doing layups properly because mm -hmm. my coach told me to. She, right. That was something she told us to imagine in a way that we could be getting our mindset for success before we ever showed up at the basketball court. So in that same way, we have to visualize what it is that we want to change, how we want to see ourselves functioning in the new year, whether it's at work with our families or at home, because if we can see it in our head, that's, that's where those, that's where those successful behaviors are going to begin. Right. That's, yeah, that's yeah, where the action should... follows uh, the thought. And, and, right. and if you spend the time to build the vision that you want, then as I think, I think it's probably Rex Howes that talked to us about this idea that once you sort of decide in your mind what you want and you focus and emphasize some energy, mental energy on that, your, your mind will start to make decisions to execute that and uh, make that come about, whether that's positive or negative. So it's important that, I guess, for positive motivation, uh, the step would be you want to see yourself more motivated. You want to see yourself having success. And if you start with that intention, then it tends to follow more likely. Yeah, I think a lot of it too, I mean, it is amazing how many people have made it to a certain age or even a certain position in life, you know, whether that be, you know, somewhat successful, somewhat stable, and they're almost still like a, a leaf in the wind, you know, they, they've been, you know, a combination of luck and they do have some aptitude, but then they get to a crossroads where they're having some challenge, whether it be in relationships or in work. And then you talk to them and you're like, wow, I can't believe that, you know, you didn't have any you know, routine of how you went about your life, like how you uh, prepared, how you, you know, set things you know, on course the right way. So it, I think that uh, sometimes the motivation, like you were saying, I mean, everybody that we mentioned as, you know, people we look up to have some type of internal motivation and they have some positive habits that have set them on the right course. And so I think that, you know, I'm always amazed by people that, um, you know, or sometimes my peers are in positions. I'm like, wow, you know, you've never thought this through. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's another thing, like you were mentioning earlier, Rachel, is that, you know, 2020 forced people to, you know, prioritize, you know, their, 
they're trying to work from home and take care of their kids and everything at the same time. So, you know, sometimes adversity is what we need to, you know, get that growth that we, uh, that we seek after. So. Yep. That's really very true. So, you know, again, I mean, we're, we're talking about establishing intentions as, as a key, you know, as something we have to do. The other thing, you know, just kind of building on something you said, Chris, was the importance of clarifying priorities. If you think about think about how people feel if if they're out and about without direction, right? If you, you throw yourself out into the wilderness, of course you may love that, right? You're like, yeah, yeah. get on. But there's a lot of people that if they threw if you threw them out into the wilderness and they didn't have the skill sets of of uh, you know Chris Story. Um, they would feel lost. They would feel really scared and afraid. And I mean, when I, when I ask people those kinds of questions, like, Hey, how would you feel about this? Most people have all kinds of negative words. They're, they're going to say they yeah. feel lost anxiety, uh, all kinds of things like that. Every once in a while I have someone, you know, who's like exhilarating, you know, something, something <laughs> yeah. like, and that's, that's great. But there's usually a reason I'm like, Oh, why'd you say that? And it's really great to get in their minds to find out why they're saying that, you know, but it's, um, again, it's because they were prepared for it or in some way. But anyway, I say that because what, what we really have to do is get ourselves focused. Um, focused, we, we have to have the clarity personally and professionally and really revisit uh, and, or establish, if you haven't, your priorities. Um, I know personally for me, I have had to, uh, I've learned to say no to a lot of things. There's a lot of opportunities that have of come my way or whatever. And, and, I've, and I've definitely am not perfect at that, but I've learned that over the years that, that, you know, by saying no to a lot of great opportunities, you, you can, you can say yes to what matters most. And, and really, because really how you spend your time is what we're talking about. Okay. And how you spend your time is a reflection of your values. Right. So we want to be aligned, right? I've even heard Dr. Curtis talk about that. You want to be aligned in who you are as a person, like your personal mission, if you will, and how you're spending your time. The only way to do that is to get those things aligned. And um, and so a lot of people don't have that kind of focus when it may be personally, but maybe they have tools professionally because they have a mission statement at work and a job description and they have a strategic plan and, and all these things that, that we do in business. But I'm often recommending to people that they establish those kinds of uh, documents, even put it in writing, you know, for themselves. I know Dr. Curtis does that with having a personal mission because all of those things are going to give you an idea of identity, mm -hmm. uh, give you direction and ultimately motivate you. So that's, that's one thing. If, if people haven't done that for themselves, there's so many resources you can find for how to, to write a mission for yourself. Um, but then think if you're in business, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been having to have people clarify goals and values by going back to their mission for themselves, spend some time in it, and then, and then go have those conversations with the teams. Um, oh, last year at the beginning of 2020, I was a part of several strategic planning sessions at different companies where they were reviewing their priorities or maybe establishing them if they were a new organization and they were writing their first strategic plan. And so they go through the SWOT analysis, right? They're identifying their strengths or weaknesses and opportunities and threats. And 
lo and behold, we had this external threat, right? Uh, COVID-19 comes along, not on the radar, and it's not, it was not part of the conversation. And so you find yourself in these conversations, I mean, I'm sorry, in these situations in business where, you, you, you know, you kind of have to go back and review that and say, what is it that we said was a priority? Usually companies are reducing that to maybe three to four priorities uh, in a year or over a course of three to five years that, for a strategic plan. And what I found is that the priorities haven't changed so much, but the way that they're doing it has. But you can find great clarity and comfort and focus, get yourself focused by revisiting those things so that you don't feel scattered and stressed and anxious, but instead you can put one foot in front of the other and stay the course with that strategic plan or with that annual plan and um, maybe in a different way. Many companies, maybe if it was, they were, needing to focus on fundraising or, or what have you. It was just having virtual fundraisers and, you know, it's just, anyway, it's, it's been interesting to see how companies can do that by revisiting the, the basics, going back to the foundational documents that they have. And those are the original sources of motivation for starting the business, for people joining the business, and it will sustain their motivation going forward, but you have to revisit it, spend some time with it as an individual and then share it forward. I think I wanted to echo about what you were just saying. If I speak with a lot of people that are, you know, just in their personal lives, was, we talked about self-motivation. And sometimes I think motivation is smashed by having too many distractions. And that's kind of what you're talking about. You have to have a priority. And, and you mentioned, yes, I do keep sort of a personal priority of, of what, what, are, what do I value? First off, that's where the priorities come from. Once you set those priorities, then it's a little bit easier. If this is my priority, then I can make decisions based on that, regardless of the environment. I just make different decisions based on the environment. But what I notice a lot of people get into is they get, um, they get distracted by too many things whether that be projects, like you said, that people shouldn't take on, things you should have said no to, maybe family obligations or things that really don't fit into your personal value system that you've sort of got sucked into. So lots of things people can suck us into. So I'm glad you mentioned that point about the prior values and priorities, because if people don't spend the time to figure out what they stand for, what their values are and what they actually want to accomplish in their life personally, then what ends up happening is they sort of just bump into the walls. And most of the people that I see medically that are coming in because of psychological issues, depression, anxiety, a lot of times they're so wrapped up in things outside of their sphere of influence, outside of their, their, their personal values and priorities, they can get sucked into things that, it's, it's demoralizing. It doesn't, you know, you don't have any motivation when you're out, you've, 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 you've decided to take on more things than you can physically accomplish in a, in a day. I don't know if that makes sense, but. No, it makes great sense. I, I was going to say, this is, this is what I see a lot. And it, this is going back to the, the question of how can you have an effect on your motivation, right? To the person right. who says, oh, I can't have any effect on that. Like, yes, you can by doing something different. Okay. For example, signed up, you volunteered to be, and I use, I pick on treasurers a lot, right? We, we, a lot of us volunteers in our community, or I see students who sign up for uh, campus organizations, and they might be in a role, and they've taken on the role of treasurer, okay? And that's great. Um, but 
but they might have said yes because of some other need that that fulfills, whether it's um, to be with their friend because their friends are officers in that organization or their friends on that board and they, they're wanting to, to have a little social time or something with their friends or maybe it's status, something, something that it nur nurtures in some way. But the, the problem is, is if your heart is not in it, like if you literally are not motivated to do that particular kind of work, or if you don't have the kind of preference personally to do that kind of task, then you're going to end up dragging yourself to meetings over time. You might have the initial excitement and everything, but when that stuff fades, you're going to be dragging yourself to meetings. And I, I have people who tell me, hey, my friends think I'm all super motivated because I'm always going to meetings, but I'm dragging myself to those meetings. I don't really want to go. And so then I'm like, well, why are you there? Like, I, you know, start talking and breaking it down. And, and you find that people signed up for it for all these other reasons. So I, I personally believe in fulfilling your obligations, right? If you signed up for something, try to finish it unless you absolutely can't or it's like to your detriment or something. But it's when you're done with that obligation, learn from it. Like, don't, don't see every experience that you have as a learning opportunity about what you enjoy, what you love, what you prefer in your work and your, your choices, and then do more of that, right? Do uh, pay attention to that. And, and then when you don't take on the role in this case, I'm again, I'm literally, I mean, I have, I know people who are super motivated by the work of being in the treasure of an organization, but you know, if you're not, and you take on that role and you say, no, next time it comes around, although you might have the pressure of the, again, these things you're going to lose, that's a good way to gear yourself up, by the way, for anything, any kind of goal. In this case, if you want to be more motivated, you have to ask yourself, what are the obstacles to that goal? And in this case, the, the obstacle might be that you're going to lose something. Maybe you don't have the status. Maybe you feel irrelevant because you're no longer a part of that organization. You kind of fall away from that or whatever. But you have to keep your eye on what your priority is and what's the goal. The goal is, oh, to spend more time with my family or to have more valuable quality time with these other people and, the, you know, people who are dependent on me or, or something over here. So ultimately, you begin to become more motivated there and you're not you're not dragging yourself anywhere. Right. You're yeah. you're only saying yes to things that are really in that hyper motivated category. So to me, just the part that the selection at that point when people ask you to do things is going to have a great impact on your motivation level down the road. But that's usually not what you're thinking about at the time. So I'm just saying, think of those moments as choices that will, in fact, have an effect on your motivation down the road and and ask yourself, is this super motivating? Why am I saying yes? Like make it make it more critical than it feels because it is important. That's and, an actionable step. I mean, that's actually, that's a tool. That's something someone can use. It's not simply allowing motivation to just happen or not happen to you based on what you bumped into that day. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that, again, it goes back to what Chris said. You have to know who you are first. It goes back to values or your <clears throat> priorities. So that's why I talk about that first. Like strategy one is to either figure it out, set your priorities and your values and like the who, like, what do you need to be doing? you know, then, then you can, you know, focus on what that is and then start aligning your time, how you spend your time with that. Right, right. And you can do that at home. You can do that at work, but it's, it's focus. It's the power of focus. Right. Yeah. I was going to say it's one thing um, 
I think you and Bill both hit on it was the, this modern need to feel busy because we have so many productivity enhancements that allow us to do things on our phone, things on our laptop, things on our tablet. Uh, so, I, and you know, Bill and I have talked about this a lot. You know, it's unfortunate that multitasking ever became like an attribute that people would want to put on a resume because usually that means you're distracted from doing the really deep thinking work that you need to solve the problems. You're you can be like you know, always busy, like a hamster in a wheel, but at the end of the day, what did you really get done? And so, you know, going back to the, you know, what's important prioritization kind of core values. And then, and then some of that stuff just takes care of itself. You know, once you really prioritize and think about it, you know, take some mental time away, be, you know, get some silence in your life, you know, close yourself away and deep think people are like, wow, there's like five things I do all the time that are really not supporting anything that I really want to do. Um, and I think cutting out is way better than adding, you know, uh, most of the time. I do think a lot of people have to be told that too. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've said you have, like, you don't have an obligation to these people or to this thing. Like you, you can release yourself from that and because there's a lot of really good um, things you can do with your time, right? And it's, it, okay, so it's kind of, let's see, I don't know if you all have done any, any episodes on identity and things like that, but there's, there's a book called um, Difficult Conversations, how to, how to Talk About What Matters Most. It's by Douglas Stone, Bruce Patton, and Sheila Heen. And the book is about how to begin conversations, difficult ones, and how to manage it and close it out and everything. But again, so many of the original resources I, when I came at this kind of looking at how to do with conflict management, but in that book, they talk about identity and how there are questions like core identity questions that people ask themselves. And one of them is, am I a good person? Another one is, am I worthy of love? And the third one is, am I competent? So anytime that you're feeling unsettled, um, you feel like threatened or like lashing out at someone or frustration, it tends to fall into one of those three categories. And, and so what, this is kind of a, kind of a stretch, but I, again, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and the connections between some of this, uh, these situations. And I really think that what's happening a lot of times when someone says, Hey, can you come with me over to this? Thing or deliver this meal or, you know, something that is really good. The identity question that's popping up in our minds, like unconsciously is, am I a good person? Like, am I a good person? It, we were unconsciously feeling like that has something meaning about who we are and, and whether we're good or not. And the reality is whether you go do that or not, like it, it isn't as consequential in the big scheme of things, you know? Yeah. It's not defining who you are at that yeah, moment. It's a, the, it's not a defining moment. Just one choice. Yeah. The defining moment is being more conscious about, about that, your values, what that stems from your faith or, you know, what, what have that informs those values and then living by it. And, and I think in, uh, again, unconsciously, I think a lot of people ha- feel like they have to say yes. Like, yes, I'm, I'm accommodating. I'm a con, you know, in, in conflict styles, um, one of the ways that we tend to respond to conflict is 
uh, the accommodating style. That is, a, that's a one of the top five ways people respond. And I think that's another thing. I think it's a confrontation and people don't want to say no. They've been asked to do something and they feel like, oh, if I say, if I say no, then, then, oh, like I'm in, I'm having this different interest from someone and it's really uncomfortable. So they just say yes. And they, they go along with it. And it's so common, but even that you can do too much of that. So anyway, I'm all forgiving and for everything. I just, I think you can, you, you have to have balance and, and you, you have to, you know, you can, you can do all of those things, but take care of yourself and others. I mean, so anyway, I think it's important, you know, when it comes to delegation, which Chris mentioned earlier, the, the first thing you have to do is ask yourself who is capable and who is committed. Committed is indicative of the mindset, the, the motivation level that someone has. And if you ask yourself about putting yourself into a particular role, it's the same question. Am I, am I capable? And I think most people are capable of a lot of things. It's that commitment. Can I, can I be committed to it and be motivated in it? And by the way, if we're not, then we're not showing people our best selves anyway. You're not doing yourself a favor or building or maintaining trust with people if you're not doing a good job. Because if you're dragging yourself to meetings and if you're not highly motivated, you're not your best version of yourself. And then you're just guilty carrying around the guilt or sloppy or doing things, you know, not doing things as well. So, and people are formulating ideas about you who are in that setting and see you doing that. They just think that that's what you do. And so I'm, I'm often telling people, yes, you want to be more motivated, whether that's because you want to generally be more motivated for yourself, but also because of the influence you have on others, modeling it, like Chris said, uh, you know, being a model um, to others, but also because it will have an effect on your results and the way you perform. And then that is going to be your, that's, that's what people will know you by. So there's just so many benefits to it. I, it just, yeah. yeah, I think it's been a, you know, this is in line with our theme of mastering self. There's a reason that comes first in our tagline as a podcast, mastering self, mastering craft, accomplishing any life mission. And what you've just chatted about today, and, and I, I get a feel that there's a lot under the hood, so to speak, of a topic like this. I could tell that the links with other leadership topics are very tight, you know, as far as delegation, everything else. But you've already provided our listeners a practical list of things, you know, as a starter that a lot of people don't do. And, and you mentioned measuring and reflecting on your motivation. If you don't even think about what your level of motivation is, uh, that's key. I, on my, other, my notes also show that you talked about setting intentions, you know, the idea that you must set intentions for what, what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to do? And set that in line with your values, uh, in turn, if you have those values, you must reflect on the idea of having a, what is your priority then, and your values will dictate that. And then identify obstacles and some of the other things you mentioned towards the end. These are all things that are part of mastering self and maintaining motivation, which then, as you just you know uh, explained, that 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 plays out in what kind of accomplishments you have and what you contribute to your group. Uh, or to your team, or to your business. Um, I think it's been pretty powerful. Um, Chris, um, I guess as we wrap, do you have any um, final questions or thoughts for Rachel? The only thing that I was thinking about, and I had in my notes, that uh, 
I was curious about is when you're a, a mediator or doing conflict resolution, uh, how much is just basic controlling of emotions? Uh, how, how does that factor in? Because uh, I don't think we really touched on that, but that has to be a huge part. People just get angry or like you mentioned, intimidated, just say yes. Is that a big part? Just like, a, you know, emotional intelligence with the conflict? Yeah, but yes, I mean, I guess it depends on what you mean. Do you mean the people like disputants uh, that are in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would just think, yeah, people that are just having some kind of disagreement, dispute, because I know I've seen it where it's just they can't get past the emotion. They're so pissed off. They can't think think logically. And it, it's such a human emotion. But you think that when there's money involved and jobs on the line that people could, you know, uh, detach from it. But a lot of times they just can't, you know, and they make bad decisions. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's one reason why it's important for people to get help you know, if they need it. And that's one reason why we have alternative, you know, dispute resolution options out there for people when they can't resolve it themselves. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I think it's a very core skill uh, that, that everyone should, you know, read up on and, and work on because it is uh, very much self-discipline, but understanding some general principles are helpful. I think that, Venting is important. I mean, people need to feel heard. And so mm-hmm. uh, listening is incredible, you know, is, is usually the, the first step and is what those kinds of processes are set up for to have uh, an environment where, mm-hmm. where you can actually discuss the issues in a productive way. The last thing you want to do is have a conversation with someone when uh, you don't have time for it. It's it's not giving the attention it deserves. So the more important sure. a relationship or situation is, the the more time and energy you have to give that. But so setting the environment is what a lot of those processes are like. And then having a process for allowing people to vent. Um, that's usually step one. Is just again listening. And yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good point. You, the way you get started, right? It, you you have to set the tone. Um, you have to set the tone for a productive conversation. And a lot of times we get in ourselves own way by starting off in a, in a way that is, is not constructive. And uh, so getting off to a good start, signaling your willingness to listen and work with others and, you know, and even describing your issue neutrally and mm-hmm. instead of saying, Hey, you did this, or I need to talk with you because of what you did, or, you know, something like that. That's, that's just going to cause people to turn their ears off. Sure. Right. Sure. So yeah. the idea is to, oh. how can you keep talking? How can you keep the conversation alive? And, um, but, but it begins with getting off to a good start, but it, it, it is a huge, it is a, just a whole, I guess it, it kind of depends what you're wanting to achieve. There's definitely actions that a person can take to deescalate emotion, sure. emotions. Sure. You can't, you can't guarantee how another person's going to re- respond, but there are definitely you know, proven ways that are more likely to deescalate emotion sure. in other people. That's what I'll I like uh, about studying this stuff because it kind of makes human behavior a little bit more predictable. You can't predict sure. everything. You can't guarantee outcomes by taking certain actions, but you can uh-huh. do the best you can and hopefully get better results for yourself and influence others in a way that you can be proud of. Well, I, thanks a lot, Rachel, really for your time and insights. Uh, you know, it, it's fascinating talking to people from different backgrounds to help contribute to what we're trying to do. And I think you definitely did that. So just thanks for your time and the opportunity to speak with you today. Thanks. I enjoyed it. Um, doing the good work.
Yeah, yeah thanks. thanks. Thanks, Rachel, for coming on. I, again, I echo Chris's sentiments. I think there's, as I've, I'm looking at my notes, I got a whole page of notes of basic pearls and tips and strategies and insights that you shared with us and our listeners. Um, I would love to have you back on again. I already, what, as we were talking, I was sitting there making notes about whole little rabbit holes we could run down on this. Um, so I hope that you'll be game for that in the future. Um, any, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, what is the, you know, with either LTREC or any of your other, you know, maybe to have, you know, if you, you know, do, you know, I know you do talks and different things like that in different companies that might want to reach you. How would people get a hold of you? I think that probably the easiest thing would just be to go to our website, which is ltrek.com, L-T-R-E-K.com. Okay. Just, they can go to the contact page and fill that out and, and um, we'll receive that and, and get back with them. Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we'll call it a day, Chris. Thanks again. And uh, we'll see you next thanks. time. Thank you. Sounds good.